One of the things the Buddha said uh, as he was exiting from this life was he was encouraging his students, his disciples, to be a light, to be a lamp unto themselves. Be a light and a lamp unto themselves. Look to their own experience, their own understanding, and to work out the, as his final words, to work out the, work out your salvation with diligence. And what I take that to mean, aside from the great body of work that he uh, laid down uh, in the course of his li- teaching life, um, which was a very uh, comprehensive overview of human life and suffering and the way out of suffering and various practices and tools and techniques and methodologies, that we, uh, 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 as well as having those, we are still left with how we work it out for ourselves in, in the context of our lives and our particular conditions and our conditioning and our family situation and our health and our work and financial situation. So each of us has these different conditions in which to uh, grapple with in our lives. Aging, sickness, loss, uh, the insecurities and the vulnerabilities of being human. I'm very aware of the millions and millions of people are in a very vulnerable situation on the East Coast. You know, tropical storm moving in. Uh, friends of mine have just moved into a, an apartment uh, on the Hudson River on the 35th floor, uh, which is not where you'd really want to be in, the, in, the, in facing a tropical hurricane especially when they turn off the elevators, which they have done in a lot of the apartment buildings in New York. They have a long way down, but you don't want to go down because it's already flooded. So um, so just aware of the, the, you know, there's so many different situations, both that and many other things, that are challenging in this life. And uh, the, the point of the Buddhist teaching was to, was to, have us inquire and to look at how do we meet that? How do we work with the conditions of our life, the challenges, the difficulties, the, the, the anguish, the uh, existential dilemmas uh, that we face as mortal beings? So I've been reflecting uh, some on the teachings of the Four Noble Truths. I'm teaching the Essential Dharma class, which is an overview of Buddhist teachings. And so we're right now studying the Four Noble Truths, which is the basis for the, all of the Buddhist teaching in any tradition. Uh, the truth that there is suffering, there is unsatisfactoriness in life, in case you hadn't noticed. And there is the causes of that, the causes of our self-created suffering, uh, which uh, from his perspective are the, for the, the, the in innate forces of desire or greed and hatred or aversion and the force of delusion or ignorance. And then the third truth is there is, a, there is freedom from suffering. There is a way out. 
there is cessation of the forces of the causes and the, the presence of suffering, called nirodha, cessation, nibbana. And then there's a path leading to that, the Eightfold Path, which many of you know quite familiar with this teaching. The Third Noble Truth for me has always been the most interesting because it's the good news. <laughs> there is a way out. There is possibility. There is hope. There is a, re- a reduction and a freedom from pain and anguish and suffering. And it's also, it's also the most um, perplexing. You know? How does one free oneself from suffering in this life, in this life where the, the scale of uh, pain and suffering is immense, globally, ecologically, socially, personally. How does that look? How does that feel? How does one begin to navigate that path? So this is always very curious to me. Like what, what is, how, how does this teaching relate to me in my life right now in the midst of whatever stuff that we are going through? And of course we are always going through some kind of stuff, <laughs> at least most of the time. We have, we have periods where we're, things, are in a, things are quieter and things are going well and everybody we know is healthy and whatnot. But those, those periods seem to uh, be small. And so, uh, so we have to ask ourselves, well, what, what does this mean, this, this freedom from suffering? So traditionally, the, the, way, that, the way that this presented is that through the practice of mindfulness and insight, we can uproot the forces of greed and hatred, those deep-rooted tendencies in our being, uproot the, the delusion of separateness, and, uh, and live free from those pulls. And so there are different stages of the path where one uh, weakens and erodes the, the, the grip of greed and hatred, of self-centered desire and resistance to what is. And I can see in my life that those things have, uh, at, uh, in different ways, changed. Uh, some dropped away. Uh, I see other places where they seem to be pretty intransigent <laughs> and they stick around. Uh, and then I see other new ones popping up. <laughs> it's like a garden that needs constant weeding. You, know, you don't just weed and then you're done. You just sit in your deck chair and retire. No, it's, it's, it's a constant process of working with the mind, working with the heart, working with fears and anxieties and desires and lust and whatever, whatever our particular fixation is. So, um, so this year has, for me, has been a, a very challenging year I- internally and, and mostly internally. Some life circumstances, but uh, both physical health 
uh, and emotional challenges. I've had to work with a lot of anxiety uh, this year, um, physical and emotional, um, and a lot of chronic uh, uh, pain and um, uh, some other health issues that are somewhat undefined. And, uh, oh, and, and some insomnia to throw in there, just for those general, because it was kind of looking a little boring, so I thought we'd spice it up with not sleeping during it. You know, and I, I could ask, go around in each one of you in the room, and, and you would have your own different list, right? Maybe loss, bereavement, yeah? maybe dealing with, um, you know, all kinds of physical ailments, it may be... Who knows? I mean, we could, we could. I won't ask you, but you can, you know, think about where where are your challenges, present, past. So, um, uh, so I am often asking this question: Well, how does freedom look in relationship to this? How does the third noble truth look in relationship to this? And just as the Buddha, when he got older, he had a he had a bad back, had to lie down, and sometimes would. Suffered from tiredness and would ask his other monks to give the teachings, and you know. Um, so he was still subject to the challenges of the body. He also experienced a lot of loss. With the, 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 the he seemed to live a lot longer than uh, many of his key monks and teachers, and uh, experienced tremendous sadness around that. So um, sometimes the the way spiritual teachings are presented is uh, are a little misleading. Um, in that uh, there's this idea or illusion that um, uh, that all these things go away. Uh, my experience that's not true. It's not my experience in my, with my colleagues either. So this, the, so the traditional view of the um, erosion and uprooting of these things, uh, I've I've seen very rarely, and I do see people where those qualities um, are, are very, are very light. Um, but those of us who are living in the midst of life and work and family and relationship, uh, where this stuff tends to get mm, activated and triggered, and as opposed to maybe sitting in a quiet forest retreat cave, um, the, the um, admonition or the, the challenge is, is how, how, do we, how do we navigate these, these things, these complicated challenges of life? And sometimes things arise, like for me, the anxiety was sort of, was kind of mysterious why it arose. It was a lot of physical symptoms of anxiety that sometimes I wasn't feeling anxious, but my body seemed very anxious. Um, And the insomnia has been very interesting because uh, it's a great place to practice because if you don't surrender to it, it's really suffering. Because you, if, if if you don't surrender, then you're trying to make something happen, like sleep, which of course is a complete setup for failure. <laughs> so you just have to rest. You just have to relax, meditate, do some meta practice, do some breath practice. 
I do a yoga nidra practice now, which I'll at some point teach here. It's a very deep relaxation practice. So the, the reason I'm mentioning these things, not to talk about myself uh, too much, but to, uh, for me, it, it, it always comes back to this central point that we say here frequently, which is uh, we, we're not able to control the circumstances, uh, the conditions of our lives. You know, we have some control over some small things, but the broad, you know, whether we get sick or whether, you know, our finances disappear because of the crash or because, or the, the, with the health and the well-being of our loved ones and family, uh, we don't have a lot of control over that. What we do have control over is our relationship to it, how we are, how we, how we deal with it, how we respond, how we react. And this, this for me is really where the, the third noble truth is speaking to, is, is freedom in relationship to, not necessarily freedom from, because we may not have freedom, we may not have control over freedom from, but we can always have some influence over the relationship to these various things, which in my case is insomnia or anxiety or chronic physical pain or whatever. So that's why in the meditation, you know, we'll sometimes give that instruction. Oh, so, so notice what's happening and notice your relationship to it. Even right, right now, notice what's happening, whether you're interested or bored or tired or awake or restless or peaceful or sleepy or bright? How are you relating to that? How, what's the attitude? What's the, what's the intention? How you're holding it? This is from Viktor Frankl, who wrote, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way, to choose one's attitude in any set of circumstances, to choose one's way. So that's... And that's what the power of the practice gives us. To be present enough, to be spacious enough, to be aware enough, to be receptive enough, to be welcoming enough, to meet and greet whatever circumstances comes our way. So I've really had a lot of fun with this practice. Maybe fun's not quite the right word, but uh, when I'm up at one or two in the morning and uh, my body's just awake and I'm lying there and of course there's all kinds of things I could be doing um, but I choose just to lie there and be with it and uh, and then to see when my mind makes a problem out of it like, oh no, I'm going to be tired tomorrow story which is a complete setup for suffering because one, I don't know if it's true which it usually isn't and two out of my control anyway. 
And so when I'm lying awake and, and I'm not thinking about the future or what it means, it's just, I'm just it's nice, quiet. <laughs> it's, it's evening, the moon's out. And there's no problem until the mind sets up an opposition to it. Well, this shouldn't be happening. What's wrong? Was there something wrong with you? You should get it fixed. You're going to be miserable tomorrow. Why did you have coffee before you went to bed? Which I, I didn't, but you know, could have. You know. <laughs> so we can apply this to any of our particular stuff. Yeah? So I'm sitting in the meditation and I'm, and I'm kind of exploring my, my some chronic pain I've got going on my uh, sacrum. And, uh, and it's the same thing. It's, it all comes down, as Victor Frankl said, it all comes down to one's attitude. If our attitude is, I'm not going to be happy until this physical pain leaves, then we're, again, we're, we're in opposition with reality. If I think it should be different. So it just comes down to, oh, can I meet this? Can I meet this? Can I meet this? You know, and I might adjust, because why not? You can move, why not? Or not. I was working with a body worker today, who a man who was a... Uh, really, you know, who is still a top body worker who used to work with a lot of the New York ballet, another ballet, com- b- ballet uh, dancers. And um, he was in a bike accident and became uh, was paraplegic, uh, which was devastating for, a, for a, he was so embodied and such an amazing body worker. And he was told he could never walk and never move his lower body and maybe not even his arms. And he had a different idea about that and had a different attitude to the one the medical model was giving him. And so because he had a lot of awareness, he trained and trained himself to move and he regained most of his motion in, in his limbs and is still continues to be a phenomenal body worker. And I find it very inspiring to be around him, to see how he works with his uh, physical limitations, and whether he's in a wheelchair or his crutches or... Um, moving heavy objects around and just very inspiring to, to see his perseverance and and I don't like I don't know his inner life but I from the outside there's there's a some complete it's an interesting balance between a complete non-fighting of it and an acceptance of it and a serenity with it and also this very active practice of enlivening the injury. So and this is one of the paradoxes of, of the path that we that, that is often confusing for people, um, the paradox of both fully surrendering into and allowing and embracing the truth of an experience, which in his case was severe limitation, and at the same time cultivating attitude and intention of the healing 
and transformation is still possible. So the, the surrender sounds passive, but it doesn't need to lead to passivity. Both can be held at the same time. So you might want to think about your own situations. We all have our own dose of what the Buddha called dukkha, suffering, unsatisfactoriness, things that are difficult to bear, difficult to hold. This is what he had to say about about this the third noble truth. He said, enraptured with craving, enraged with aversion, and blinded by delusion, overwhelmed with mind ensnared, people aim at their, their own ruin, the ruin of others, and the ruin of both. And they experience both mental pain and grief. But if grasping aversion and delusion are given up, one's a- one aims neither at one's own ruin, the ruin of others, or the ruin of both. And they experience no mental pain and grief. This is Nibbana, visible in this life, immediate, inviting, attractive, and comprehensive to the wise. So I'm curious, how many people believe that uh, freedom from suffering is possible in this life? Complete freedom from suffering? Uh, and Sean popped his head in two. Is that a yes? <laughs> All right, one more to the count. <laughs> Good. How many people don't believe it's possible? Okay. And how many people are sort of in between on the fence? Don't know. Just probably more. Yeah. So we have a full range. We should take sides. We can have a religious war about it. Yes, we can. No, you can't. How the hell should I know? Row, row, row your boat. Row, row your boat, right. One of the teachings that I love from the Thai forest tradition, um, from Achan Buddhadasa, and some of you familiar with this teaching, is um, he, he was a great scholar and, uh, and a revolutionary at his time, a radical, lived in the forest and shunned the whole religious orthodoxy of the Buddhist bureaucratic monastic system in Thailand uh, to a large degree, um, even though he was a monastic. And um, he talked about, uh, he, he uh, he, he read a couple of paper w- papers. One was Nibbana for everybody. Nibbana is the, the w- one word or metaphor for the, 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 the end of the path, peace, freedom, cessation from suffering. And so, and he tried to make this, this teaching, which had often been presented as very aloof and elusive, uh, uh, to be more accessible in their lives. And so he had this... this this idea of mm, both nibbana for everyone and um, uh, moments of nibbana. So rather than thinking that nibbana comes at the end of a very, 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 very long path, that actually we can experience it in the here and now, which really all of the, te- the Buddhist teachings are available to be experienced here and now. It's the point of them. 
to be seen, to be felt, to be understood in our own experience right here, not in some distant lifetime somewhere. So, um, if Nibbana, the Third Noble Truth, is cessation of the forces of wanting and resistance and delusion, then in any moment when those are absent, we can say there is a moment of Nibbana, moment of peace. So if you look to your experience right now, see if there's there's any movement of mind that's wanting something, wanting to get rid of something, or is deluded. If there's an absence of those. From Buddhadasa's point of view, if there weren't these gaps, we'd go mad. Like if we experience greed, hate, and delusion all the time, we'd just go nuts. And maybe it feels like that sometimes. <laughs> you want this, you want to get rid of that, and you want more of that, less of that, stop doing that, talk to me like that way, don't treat me that way, go away, come back. No wonder we have a hard time in relationships. I'm trying to work all that stuff out. So think about times when you felt really peaceful. Think about the last time you were feeling really peaceful, which may have been in the last meditation, or right now, or walking and seeing the beautiful night air and night sky. And, and, to s- and to think back and to sense back into whether there was in that, those moments of peace, happiness, where you were content, where there wasn't a leaning out, leaning forward for something. There wasn't a rejection or pushing away of something. And there was just a steadiness and clarity in the moment. Right? Was that true? If you think about your experiences of peace, are they probably characterized by an absence of certain things? Usually an absence also of the thinking mind that's busily taking us to somewhere better or different. So I was teaching a day long yesterday up the hill. It's a nature day long. And it was a very, very beautiful, it was a beautiful day yesterday and it was a beautiful day up in the meadows, up in the hills. And it was a very quiet group, and I get pretty quiet when I teach. I don't tend to say that much these days when I'm teaching in nature. And uh, there was just a lot of peace. There was a lot of contentedness and subtleness. And of course, being out in nature often gives us access to that. And I was aware of that absence of the movement of wanting something different, wanting to be warmer or cooler. Or it was just was it was what it was, and it was there was a peace. And they were there moments of nibbana. Yeah. So you might you might pay attention. Where do I experience these moments in my life? And for me, a lot of it's a lot of, a lot of time it's out in nature. That's where I access it more easily, because nature seems to invite that sense of uh, invites us to let go of the wanting mind, of the problem-solving mind, of the fixing mind, of the caring mind. Right? Just a certain relaxation, certain. Um, self-referencing softens. We're less so preoccupied with our thoughts and our ideas and our plans and fix-it to doom lists. And <laughs> so where is that place for you? Maybe it's in meditation. Maybe it's in yoga. Maybe it's in bed. <laughs> Maybe it's in your hammock. Maybe it's sitting with quiet with a cup of tea. Maybe it's with your beloved. 
maybe it's who knows where you're absorbed in in playing music or listening to music or creating art or it's just taking a walk in your neighborhood where, where do those moments well maybe someone could say where, where do these moments of peace or nibbana come to you anyone like to say music music listening to your, your daughter playing the flute that's one <laughs> that's one <laughs> yeah I was thinking of the symphony yesterday mm. listening to the symphony Marin. Mm. beautiful nice Nice. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Nice. Where else? when you remember that you came from nothing, you're going back to nothing, and you were just a ship moving through this life. Yeah. So that when, it, when, there's, when there's wisdom, when there's clarity, there's knowing. Yeah. <coughs> when you're dancing, yes, thank you, forgot that, yes, dancing. I want to give a big bow to Gabrielle Roth, who passed this uh, last few days. She passed on uh, Friday, I believe, or Saturday who was the founder of the Five Rhythms and Sweat Your Prayers, beautiful dancer, and inspired thousands, tens of thousands of people to touch into that place of stillness and presence and movement. Big, I'm a big uh, fan of that work. Other places where you notice moments of peace, where there's a cessation of w- wanting something to be different, resisting what is, and delusion about who you are. Cuddling. Pardon? Cuddling. cuddling. All right, cuddling. I thought you said biking. I was like, yeah, biking. That's one place I feel it. What else? The identification with the suffering is gone. When the identification with the suffering is the gone. suffering is still there, but it's separate. Right. So, so when, the, when, the, when the suffering is seen as as you know, when, it, when you know, when this is this is what happens with our mindfulness practice, when we uh, when we see clearly the nature of our experience, we see we in the mindfulness lends itself to disidentifying, becoming less embroiled or attached <coughs> with our experience, so we can rest in awareness and see the coming and the going of feelings, thoughts, pain, sensations, moods, events. And we don't get so caught. There's a certain kind of Teflon mind with that, where there's a certain spaciousness. So this is this is where mindfulness supports equanimity, supports clarity, supports uh, mm, space between thoughts, and it supports uh, accessing uh, a non-reactive state of being where we experience more peace, less wanting, less, be, or we, 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 may, we may not experience less wanting because wanting desire continues pretty unabated is my experience, but we're not so caught in it. We can see it and we see the longing, we see the belief, oh, if I just have this extra cookie, if I just have another one of those plate cookies over there, uh, I, I, I know it'll get me through the talk. I know, I'll just, you know, 
get me through the meditation. So we see, we see the stories, we see the beliefs, we see the views, we see, I mean, like, oh, well, maybe that's true, but maybe I'll just feel sick. (laughs) So that's why we practice. So we can rest more at ease in, in awareness, in that which is not so pulled about by these forces. You know, awareness is pretty neutral, it doesn't really care what's happening, doesn't have preferences. Whether you're in pain, whether you're joyful, whether you're in bliss, whether you're in grief, whether you're lonely or connected, just from the perspective of awareness, awareness is, is already free. It's already awake in a certain way. So, but that's not where we tend to hang out. We tend to hang out with our, with our smaller, reactive, habitual, egoic consciousness that's very, very attached to having things be a certain way, having our pain go away, having our happiness stay around, having difficult emotions fade away, having our relationships be a certain way. Anybody want their partner to be a certain way? Get reactive when they're not how you just like them to be? Ever happened to you? (laughs) Anybody had any um, desire or aversion come up around the election? Or the ads, or the debates, or the sham of money in politics, wishing that it was more democratic and less money-driven. <coughs> you know, these things, like the elections, are great places to see these teachings and how they play out, you know. If you're watching TV or listening to the radio and you're hearing your favorite political nemesis come on board, what happens? Hatred, fear, aggression, anger, desire, craving for this person never ever to get elected ever. Please, God, save us now. So again, I want to make the distinction between um, this quality, this this state of being that's that's inherently at peace in itself, and that that's not necessarily a passive state. So you may be able to engage if you're very enlightened with the electoral process, and uh, you know, be motivated to bring about change motivated by wholesome desire. The desire, kusala dharma, it's called a desire to, to, to help relieve suffering. And that maybe that's your maybe that's your motivation rather than anger or greed or desire or hatred. You're coming from uh, no I'm I'm doing this, I'm helping people uh, register to vote, I'm calling people to vote, I'm whatever whatever I'm donating money, whatever you're doing because I want, I want that I want whoever to be elected to be bringing in less suffering. And it's a beautiful motivation. 
And I have many friends who are doing that, um, involved in the, in this current uh, election, as we all uh, need to be, to you know, to put our uh, principles, our Dharma principles, into practice. Which is, you know, we have we have to live. You know, we don't have to live, but it behooves us, th- those of us who have the information and the inclination, to help to to participate in some way. So some questions for you in this moment, but you can ask them in any moment. Is there anything that's missing right now? If you don't look to your mind or your memory, is there anything that's missing in this moment? Is there anything that you're lacking in this moment? If you look to your direct experience, Is there any resistance to anything that's happening? If there is, notice what the resistance is. Noticing what you're resisting. Notice how that feels, if you're good or not. Notice if you're holding on to anything. Any mood, any state, any view, any idea, any hope, any expectation. So I want to read a story about um, from Darlene Cohen, who's a uh, meditation teacher and someone who, who worked with a lot of physical, uh, great physical pain. And it's uh, it's a good example of how when we work with these things, uh, it's never necessarily that pretty or linear, um, but it, it can take us to the third noble truth. People sometimes ask me where my own healing energy comes from. How in the midst of this pain, this implacable, slow crippling, can I encourage myself and other people? My answer is that my healing comes from my bitterness itself, from my despair and terror. It comes from the shadow. I dip down into that muck again and again, and then I'm flooded with its healing energy. Despite the renewal and vitality it gives me to face my deepest fears, I don't go willingly when they call. I've been around that wheel a million times. First I feel the, the, the despair, but I deny it for a few days. Then its tugs become more insistent in proportion to my resistance. Finally it overwhelms me and pulls me down, kicking and screaming all the way. It's clear I am caught, so at last I give up to this reunion with the dark aspect of my adjustment to pain and loss. Immediately the release begins, first peace and then the flood of vitality and healing energy. I can never just give up to it when I first feel it stir. You'd think after a million times with a happy ending, I could give up right away and just say, take me, I'm yours, but I never can. I always resist. I guess that's why it's called despair. If you went willingly, it would be called something else like purification or renewal or something hopeful. It's staring defeat and annihilation in the face that's so terrifying. I must resist until it overwhelms me. But I've come to trust it deeply. 
It's enriched my life, informed my work, and taught me not to fear the dark. So this line in the middle, it seems significant to me. It's clear I'm caught by the kicking and screaming, so I at last give up to this reunion with the dark aspect of my adjustment to pain and loss. And then immediately the release begins. So, of course, we're human, and we (coughs) kick and scream against loss and pain and fear and abandonment and loneliness and whatever human stuff we go through. Jealousy, envy, deficiency. And at some point, hopefully with partly the fruits of our practice, at some point we we surrender, we give in, we give ourselves to it, we allow it, we let it be, we let it do us, we let it work us, we let it inform us, we let it transform us. And then we realize, yeah, we don't have to be so afraid of it, we don't have to be so resistant to it. Because the resistance is what's causing the suffering. That's the irony of this life. We think if we avoid it and push it away and reject it and suppress it and stuff it and blame on someone else, we'll somehow not have to be so stuck with it. (coughs) It just kind of makes it linger. So this this cessation of suffering, the Third Noble Truth, um, has a few characteristics. One is, and just just try this on for size, Um, maybe think about a situation that where you're struggling with somebody, with yourself, your work, maybe a life issue, health issue. And you take on these, these reflections where you don't need this experience to be different than it is. How would it be not to need this experience to be different than it is? How would it be not to, to have a need to get rid of anything? How would it be to be to understand uh, that n- that nothing is wrong in this situation? How would it be to believe that nothing that that something else doesn't need to happen to be happy? To not get caught in that idea that something else needs to happen to be happy, or you need to be somewhere else, or be with somebody else to be happy for the situation to resolve. How would it be just to let go of some of those views or ideas and just to rest in the middle of it? Because here it is. You know, and of course we do whatever we can to, to resolve and understand and heal and fix and change and transform. And then there's other stuff like chronic pain or elections or um, you know, hurricanes that we have a lot less control over. So uh, this is a, I read this before here, but I, I really like it. This is from Harada Roshi. He's a, was a Zen teacher. And I'll just read it. 
In this passing moment, all things come to be. I vow to choose what is. If there is cost, I choose to pay. If there is need, I choose to give. If there is pain, I choose to feel. If there is sorrow, I choose to grieve. When burning, I choose heat. When calm, I choose peace. When starving, I choose hunger. When happy, I choose joy. Whom I encounter, I choose to meet. Whom my shoulder, I choose to bear. When it is my death, I choose to die. Where this takes me, I choose to go. Being with what is, I respond to what is. Being with what is, I respond to what is. This is a very beautiful embodiment or expression of this principle. He just, you know, and it goes back to Viktor Frankl's thing of it's our attitude. What the Buddha is talking about, it's how we relate to these things. If I'm hungry, well, I guess I choose hunger. I guess if I'm in pain, I choose pain. It doesn't mean we become a victim to pain or we don't do anything about it, but we surrender to the truth of what's here. What would it be like to live your life like that? Sounds pretty peaceful to me. Sounds very non-contentious. Have you noticed how contentious you are with experience? Yes? Mm. Yeah? How, how many times in the day we're in contention with what's happening? On a very small micro level, I notice this a lot, that there's just a resistance to, it could be not wanting to see dust in the corner of the room. You know, or the room's a little cold when I get up. Or the water takes a little too long in the shower to get hot. Or whatever. I mean, just this, just this subtle way, or, or we're not, you know, we, we wake up and we're a little out of sorts and we're just not happy with that. Or our partner's a little grumpy in the morning and we're like, mm, wish they were different. <laughs> or we listen to the news and there's something that's troubling and we're not wanting that to be true. That the election polls have swung again and it's a neck and neck race because it's always a neck and neck race because it sells more newspapers. Gets us watching more TV. Hopefully it's not a neck and neck race, but we'll see. Could be proved wrong. <laughs> so this is a, another reading that I, I like to read um, from Lao Tzu, or some derivation of Lao Tzu. And um, it's also another pointer to this this idea of freedom, which is a non-contentious relationship to what's here. Always we hope someone else has the answer. Some other place will be better. Some other time it will all turn out. Well, this is it. No one else has the answer. No other place will be better, and it has already turned out. At the center of your being, you have the answer. You know who you are. There is no need to run outside for better seeing, nor to peer from a window. 
Rather, abide at the center of your being, for the more you leave it, the less you learn. Search your heart and see that the way to do is to be. So, I, I, I particularly like these lines that this is it, no one else has the answer, no other place will be better. What would that be like to live, to live with that idea? No other place will be better. Or maybe it's better at Green Gulch on a Monday night, you know. I don't know. It's, uh, those Tibetans, uh, do they do all that chanting? And my yoga studio has this candlelight thing, yoga on a Monday. I could be watching the highlights of the game from yesterday. It has already turned out. How many times are we waiting for something to turn out? Some experience to happen, some enlightened epiphany to cross into our meditation. So I I don't believe in um, there being any quick answers to these dilemmas. These are really lifelong human challenges that we uh, grow into. And uh, uh, as the saying goes, there's no enlightened retirement. We don't just hit a groove and then everything that happens comes our way. We're in our groove. It's not my experience anyway. So one of the, the things that's often talked about uh, in these teachings and other teachings is um, the practice of letting go. Well, if you're holding on to something, you've attached to something, just let go. Come on already, just let go. <laughs> just relax. It works every time. <laughs> Not. If we could let go, we would. Sometimes we can let go. You know, we're sitting in meditation, lots of thoughts come and fantasies, and at some point, after 25 minutes, mindfulness dawns and we go, oh, I don't need to be thinking these thoughts. I can let them go. And we can drop them. I don't need to be fascinated by the fantasies. And we let it go. Works less well with other experiences. Sometimes it works with our beliefs. We can be very attached to a belief, a point of view, a position. And then we can step outside of ourselves and go, oh, this is really me just holding onto a position, just another point of view amongst many. And we can soften, hopefully. With emotions and uh, feelings and states of minds and moods, not so easy just to let go. We tried letting go of loss, grief, just... Let it go. Anybody ever told you to let go of a very difficult emotion? You want to slap them? (laughs) Or punch them? (laughs) When you're really angry and upset about someone, they say, just relax, let go. It's no big deal. Clearly it is. (laughs) Otherwise you wouldn't be upset. Maybe you can look at the, the views and the ideas that are causing you to be upset and that, that, then you might be able to release. But 
But I think what's more, more, I think the language I think is more useful for us is letting be, is allowing. Allowing what is to be here. To welcome. I'm really in, enjoying this word welcoming. How, to welcome your experience. To welcome the back pain. To welcome the insomnia. To welcome the sadness. Oh, sadness is coming to visit. An old friend. Some of us are very old friend. Okay, what do you have to share with me today? Oh. Life is sad, okay? And then what, when we feel into that, and in the sadness there's a poignancy, there's a vulnerability, there's a tenderness, there's a softness, there's a sweetness, there's a receptivity in it. It's like, oh, there's more to sadness than I, than I thought. So what in your life would you would serve you to let be? To allow, to welcome. And I'm, I'm going to close with a, <coughs> a reading from Achen Sumedho, who has uh, got many wonderful things to say about the Four Noble Truths. He spent his last 40, 45 years basically practicing the Four Noble Truths as his primary teacher. And, and those of you who have been around him, he's wonderfully illuminated uh, man and teacher, and uh, he says this about this particular truth, the truth of cessation. He says, to allow the truth of cessation to work, we must be willing to suffer. This is why I stress the importance of patience. We have to open our minds to suffer, to suffering, because it's in embracing suffering that suffering ceases. When we find that we are suffering, then we go to the actual suffering that is present. We open completely to it, welcome it, concentrate on it, allowing it to be what it is. That means we must be patient and bear with the unpleasantness of a particular condition. We have to endure boredom and despair and doubt and fear in order to understand that they cease rather than running away from them. So again, coming back to, the, to, the, to our practice of uh, mindful awareness, when we can stay steady with awareness, with presence, with our experience, we see how these things you know, perennially coming and going. Waves and waves and waves. Beauty, joy, sadness, loss, fear, pain, peace, craving, lust, desire, longing, peace, hatred, fear, anxiety, and just waves and waves and waves. And what happens with waves? They, they rise, they, they seem really intense in the moment, and then they pass. And so much of our meditation practice is, is, is resting in awareness and seeing these, the, the, the wave-like nature of experience. And seeing how things pass into cessation. And when they pass, and when they pass away, there's peace. So next time something really strong happens in your meditation, maybe tomorrow morning, fear, anxiety, lust. Lust is a really great place to, to, to play with it but also any, any strong intense that grabs the mind. You see, it feels very real, very intoxicating in the moment. Maybe it's craving for a bagel, I don't know, coffee, I don't know, whatever it is you crave in the morning. Comes, feels really strong, feels like you've got to act on it, and then you just go, I'm not going to act, I'm just going to watch it fade, and then we feel quite peaceful. And that can be true with any aspect of our experience.
So I just want to, to, to recap the, the good news about this practice is that we have, the capa- we have the tools already to know and access the peacefulness of our nature and this quality of awareness of presence that is the doorway to this understanding. And it simply comes back to meeting this, and then this, and then this, and then this. So, I wish you well in your practice. Thank you for your attention. Have a good night, and uh, see you. I'll be back in a few weeks. Take care. If you, as I mentioned, if you, information about my work is on the back table and my mailing list is also on the back table. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.